Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays, 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Welcome back. Rob Breckenridge with you. So 50 years ago, October of 1970, it became what was eventually known as the October crisis. In fact, it was uh, 50 years ago this week that uh, Canada was really in the throes of this. Uh, October 5th, 1970, is when uh, James Cross, British diplomat, was abducted by the uh, so-called liberation cell of the FLQ. It was five days later that uh, Pierre Laporte, deputy premier in Quebec, was abducted, and of course, he was eventually murdered. That led to a a pretty heavy response from the federal government, uh, as we all know, and the infamous quote from Prime Minister Trudeau, just watch me. So it it became quite a moment, and this was at the time where there was a a lot of these so-called revolutionary sort of terrorist groups in uh, North America, Western Europe, and it was hard to know at the time, I think, you know, from, from Canadian perspective, what it was we were dealing with when it came to the FLQ. How large and sophisticated was this organization? And it turns out it really wasn't all that large nor all that sophisticated. Obviously, uh, that didn't save the life of Pierre Laporte. But did it merit the kind of response that it received? And what was the impact on the idea of Quebec sovereignty, which obviously the FLQ in a very violent way was trying to pursue. So it certainly became, in in many respects, an important moment in Canadian history. And 50 years later, an opportunity to to reflect back on what happened, what it represented. Uh, To that end, uh, joining us uh, to talk more about uh, the impact of what happened 50 years ago. Very pleased to welcome the program uh, here this afternoon, uh, Damien-Claude Belanger, who's uh, chair and associate professor at the Department of History, University of Ottawa. Professor Belanger, thank you so much for joining us here this afternoon. Oh, thanks. Thank you for having me. Um, you know, certainly for, for those who lived through it, it, it was um, you know a very big story at the time, obviously, 50 years ago. But for Canadians today, do, do we have a good understanding, do you think, of, of what actually unfolded? No, I think to to a large extent we've forgotten uh, what unfolded. Um, I should point out also, uh, vis-a-vis your your presentation, that the "Just Watch Me" and the invocation of the War Measures Act actually comes before Pierre Laporte uh, was killed. In fact, he was killed right, yes. in retaliation for the invocation of the War Measures Act. But uh, I think we've we've forgotten. I was talking to my students about about some of these issues today, and and. To a large extent, we've forgotten what happened. We've forgotten in Quebec that a vast majority of the population, in fact, favored the invocation of the War Measures Act, or at mm-hmm. the very least, they wanted the government to act in a forceful way. And that seems to have been completely evacuated from, from discussions uh, today. I think we also forget what exactly happened in, in 1970. And uh, I noticed a lot of people think that invoking the War Measures Act is what put troops on the streets of, of Ottawa and Montreal, but, but in fact, uh, the War Measures Act was much more about suspending civil liberties, and most notably about suspending habeas corpus and the need to obtain a warrant uh, before searching uh, a house or a car. Um, so I, I, you know, it's, this is, you know, living memory. My parents certainly remember uh, the October crisis very well. Uh, but I think we've forgotten a lot of key elements about what actually happened in 1970. 
how do we describe then the, the, the FLQ in, in terms of what it represented, in terms of how, how large or influential it was? I mean, we just sort of think that, okay, yeah, there was once a Canadian terrorist organization, the FLQ, and it was at the center of this, you know, the, this big situation 50 years ago. But, but what was it? So I think one of the most significant misconceptions about the FLQ is about the nature of its ideology. Uh, it's always associated with Quebec independence, and rightly so. But the FLQ was more than a nationalist organization. It was a socialist organization. And, and that's something that's, that's easily forgotten. For the FLQ, Quebec independence is a tool for achieving socialism. And in fact, Quebec can't become independent in their mind without socialism. The two go hand in hand. So members of the FLQ, for instance, they, they believe that the mainstream independence movement will not bring about independence because to become independent, Quebec would have to not only leave Canada, but also leave the capitalist system. Uh, and, and that socialist aspect of the FLQ is, is another element that I think is very easily forgotten, and it's, it's a key to understanding their motivations. Mm -hmm. Were they linked in any way? I mean, we, we look at the backdrop of what was happening uh, in, in the late 60s and early 70s in the U.S. and in Europe uh, and, and some comparable groups elsewhere. Is, is there a connection with, with the FLQ? The FLQ felt that it was part of sort of a constellation of uh, radical or liberation groups uh, that operate uh, really throughout the world in, in the 1960s and 1970s. Um, and it, it sort of, it does participate in this, you know, wider movement, um, but at the same time, it's fairly marginal within that movement. Uh, the FLQ had some ties uh, to the Palestine Liberation Organization. Uh, it had some ties to uh, the FLN, the Front de Libération Nationale in Algeria, which becomes the government of Algeria in, in the 1960s. And it has some ties to the Black Panthers in the United States, but these are not very strong ties. Sure. And in fact, the various cells of the FLQ often have weak ties with each other. Uh, the FLQ was a very decentralized organization and uh, it has no central leadership, it has no central leader, uh, and so it, it, uh, it's, it's both a strength and a weakness of the FLQ. It makes it difficult to dismantle, but it also makes it difficult for the various cells to coordinate with each other. Um, so it, it's, it's part of a wider uh, terrorist movement internationally, but it's not a big player uh, within that world. There may be a perception as well. We think about the, the Quebec sovereignist movement that emerged and, and uh, the Parti Québécois and, of course, much later on, the Bloc Québécois. And maybe we, we tend to think of it almost akin to, well, you've got the IRA and then you've got Sinn Féin, which is a political wing, but essentially one and the same. But obviously, there, there's a big difference then. You talked about the FLQ's ideology uh, between the FLQ and what emerged as a, a political independence movement. Uh, absolutely. I mean, at the time, many people believed that the relationship between the FLQ and the Parti Québécois was, in fact, as you say, akin to the one between the IRA and Sinn Féin. 
But the, the Parti Québécois was created with the goal of bringing the independence movement into the mainstream. Um, before the Parti Québécois, there were two, other than the FLQ, which was a terrorist movement, there were two um, independence parties in Quebec. One was very left-wing, and the other was much more right-wing. And so the FLQ, uh, sorry, the Parti Québécois wants to step in and sort of bring everyone under the same tent and steer the independence movement towards, you know, a, a kind of a middle course towards the mainstream. Um, and the the FLQ is to some extent an obstacle to that plan. Um, it uh, it constantly makes the independence movement appear violent and radical, especially abroad where. People don't necessarily understand the relationship that may or may not exist between the Parti Québécois and the FLQ. Uh, and again and again, I actually believe the destruction of the FLQ was very important to the Parti Québécois eventually achieving power in 1976, because by destroying the FLQ, the uh, Canadian government, or Prime Minister Trudeau, um, they eliminated a very radical rival to l'Evêque and to the PQ. Right. I mean, the idea of robbing banks and setting up bombs and then eventually kidnapping and murder, that's, that's not exactly winning people over to the cause of Quebec independence, was it? No. I mean, the FLQ had some sympathy. The, it, you know, the, the FLQ murdered several people, um, but it, it did have a, some sympathy among certain segments of Quebec population, among sort of radical university students, among some more radical uh, labor members and labor leaders. Um, but by and large, the, the population absolutely disavows the, the FLQ. And in, in October of 1970, wants the government of Quebec and the government of Canada to crush this movement. Did it need to be crushed, right? And and we reflect on, on the government's heavy-handed response and maybe a sense, I mean, as you say, it was popular at the time and maybe a sense that it, it, it had to be done that way, but but did it? Well, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I'll, I'll admit that I'm actually quite ambivalent about what happened in, uh, in 1970. Uh, on the one hand, uh, the War Measures Act, which was, among other things, designed to give the police powers that would allow them to find and free the two hostages. Well, it doesn't work at all. Uh, you know, one hostage is killed in retaliation for invoking the War Measures Act, and the other one is found several weeks later, months later, in fact, using just good old-fashioned police work. So the, the War Measures Act did not you know, it did not work. It did not do what it was intended to do, in a sense. Um, the uh, the government, the FLQ, uh, it was hard to get a handle on exactly who was in the FLQ and how strong it was, but the government had some intelligence. It wasn't, you know, uh, it wasn't completely in the dark uh, in this. Um, and, uh, you know, so in in, in a sense, those powers were not necessary. On the other hand, the FLQ had to be destroyed. Um, it had existed in 1970 for, at that point, seven years. There was no reason to believe that it wasn't going to continue to fester, possibly for a very long time. There are comparable groups in Europe that only laid down their arms in the last few years, and only because 
their members were frankly old and wanted to retire out of terrorism. The, the whole FLQ adventure could have lasted throughout the 1970s and possibly into the 1980s and beyond. That movement had to be destroyed. Uh, and, and it had to be destroyed for the good of Quebec and Canada. And as I say, it needed to be destroyed for the good of the independence movement even. Uh, and so, you know, this is why I'm, I'm kind of ambivalent. On the one hand, it was an overreaction. On the other hand, that, that terrorist movement and, and, and experience, it had to end. We'll leave it there. Professor Boulanger, appreciate your insight on all of this, and uh, thanks so much for making some time for us here this afternoon. <laughs> You're very welcome. Have a nice Much appreciate it. Take care. Uh, Damien Claude Belanger, uh, Chair and Associate Professor of the Department of History at the University of Ottawa, and his thoughts on uh, the events of 50 years ago and what led to that point, how it was dealt with, and, and the, uh, the impact afterward. By the way, as, as a footnote to all of this, as incredible as it is, James Cross, the uh, British diplomat who was kidnapped on October 5th, 1970, by the FLQ, uh, just turned 99 last month and uh, went back to, to uh, Ireland. I don't think he ever returned to Canada. Maybe you can't blame him after what happened. He was held for almost two months before he was finally released. Um, but yeah, he is, he is still alive. 99 years old, uh, resides back in Ireland. Our number here, 403-974-TALK, 403-974-8255. Back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.